0: This podcast is produced by Benchmark Education.
1: The science of reading. You've probably read about it in professional journals or online. It refers to a body of research about how students learn to read. But what do our discussions around the science of reading look like? Can we expand them? Is part of the conversation missing? I'm Kevin Carlson, and this is Teachers Talk Shop.
2: I like to think of sciences, of reading, that would be a plural, because we are beneficiaries of a really vast amount of knowledge that's been generated by research over the last 50 years.
1: That is Dr. Peter Athlerbeck. Peter is a professor of reading in the Department of Teaching and Learning, Policy and Leadership at the University of Maryland. He is the author of numerous books and articles on reading, instruction, and assessment, and his research focuses on reading comprehension, strategies and processes, verbal reporting, and mindfulness. Dr. Affleback suggests taking a broader view of the science available that can help in the instruction of developing readers. Today's conversation, Authentic Reading, Expanding the Science of Reading. So, Peter, let's start off. What's going
2: on with the science of reading these days? Uh, The science of reading. Well, um, I think it's really good that we have a science of reading. We can learn a lot from it. uh, I'm worried that the science of reading is um, being either misrepresented or undersampled. And it's uh, being used to hold up particular arguments for ways of uh, delivering instruction for kids who are learning how to read. But I think uh the narrowness in which the science of reading is uh, currently being portrayed is you know ultimately not good for teachers. It's certainly not good for developing readers. Talk some more about that what's what is it not telling us about uh, successful reading development well the uh you know I would say about ninety five percent of the uh media items that I've come across in the past year that have science of reading in them, uh, 95% are focused on phonics and developing phonemic awareness. And uh, y- while phonics and phonemic awareness are essential for learning how to be a good reader, they're really just the slice um, of, of all that students need. You know, they're a slice of the the big five that uh, include phonics, phonemic awareness, vocabulary, fluency, and ultimately comprehension, which is why we read in the first place. I like to think of sciences, of reading, that would be a plural, because we are beneficiaries of a really vast amount of knowledge that's been generated by research over the last 50 years in fields that are affiliated with reading. And you know I, I could cite three that I think are of utmost importance for any developing reader. And that would be the science of metacognition, uh, the science of motivation and engagement, and then the science of self-efficacy. And briefly, you know, the science of of metacognition tells us that if we want our students to be independent and successful, we have to help them learn to um, begin, work through, and then complete acts of reading on their own. And if there's not instruction that's doing that, it's difficult for some of our students to learn how to be independent and successful. Um, in terms of motivation and engagement, you know, all all accomplished teachers know that the best lesson um, is not really worth a hill of beans if our students are not motivated to begin the lesson and then don't get engaged while they're in the midst of the lesson. And then finally, um, self-efficacy. I... The, the science of self-efficacy is about um, how children develop a belief in themselves and whether or not this belief is in the direction of, I can do it, sort of like the little engine that could or can, or in the direction of, I've had so many experiences with reading that have been negative and have involved failure that I don't really believe that I could succeed at reading. And the research in self-efficacy, for example, um, demonstrates that students who are not highly self-efficacious or who don't have self-efficacy are often the ones who struggle in reading. So how does that translate into instruction? Well, um, an, an ideal instructional program in reading in elementary school is one that definitely taps into the, the five pillars of No Child Left Behind, which would be phonics, fluency, phonemic awareness, vocabulary, and comprehension, but that also builds in attention to how do we help kids develop metacognition? How do we help them monitor their comprehension as they go through a text? How do we help kids become motivated? You know, whether it's beginning with extrinsic motivation, but eventually intrinsic, so that we help children develop a love for reading and a want to return to acts of reading And then how do we help children um, move through successive reading experiences so that they develop self-efficacy in reading, so that they come to believe that they can succeed when they read? Those are all really important sciences of reading. Again, the plural is on sciences of reading.
1: Let's talk a little bit about content knowledge. How does content knowledge play into the um, toolbox of a
2: successful reader? It turns out, you know, content knowledge is another thing that's really at the center of any successful reader, and it, it has a couple of ways into an act of reading to make it successful. We know that students, um, in addition to the skills and strategies that they bring to reading, the students have to have at a minimum, the um, appropriate level of content knowledge to interpret and construct meaning from the text that they're reading. And so we, we need to think about that type of content knowledge as um, a precursor to good reading. So it, it's, it's a must-have for anybody starting an active reading. But content knowledge is also, um, in school, it's, it's really the, the purpose of reading in many cases. We, we ask kids to read history and social studies texts and to read science texts and to read uh, poems and literature to gain knowledge for themselves uh, in relation to school standards and hopefully in relation to making their lives more rich and meaningful. And so the the thing that's really important is not only that we must help students develop a, a level of content knowledge for entry into any text to be successful, but that we also need to remember that we read, to construct meaning, and that that meaning, many cases in, in school, is content knowledge.
1: After the break, how building content knowledge and learning skills and strategies can go hand in hand. Stay with us.
0: In Meaningful Reading Assessment from PD Essentials, Peter Afflerbach teams up with literacy expert, Adria Klein, to examine the link between instruction and assessment and provide a practical blueprint for becoming fluent in meaningful assessment routines. Learn more at www.benchmarkeducation.com slash pdessentials. Go teach brilliantly.
1: What are some ways that building content knowledge and learning skills and strategies can be intertwined in instruction?
2: Yeah, well, I'm I'm really glad you used the word intertwined. I'm, it's, I'm, a, I'm a big vocabulary fan also. But um, strategy and skill instruction and content knowledge gain, um, in, in the last decade or two, they've sometimes been posed as oppositional. There have been arguments made that students don't really need to learn strategies and skills. It's really about um, giving them enough content knowledge to understand the text that they're reading. And then on the other side, it might be, let's teach these series of generic uh, comprehension strategies, let's say prediction and synthesis and summarization. And like so many things in life, the the middle ground to me is is most, is the best explanation of what we need to do. So that would be, we need to teach strategies and skills. It turns out that the most accomplished readers in any area are very strategic and they're very skillful. So, a child who's in second grade or fourth grade or sixth grade who's able to look at a title and a couple of subheads and read the first paragraph of the text and if it has illustrations add that to the mix and then make an accurate prediction about what the text will be about is is being strategic but I would also note that that prediction is going to be based on the content knowledge that the student already has and, it, and it, to take that another step um, Content knowledge is, is the thing that fuels strategy use. We want students to learn new content. We don't want them to just be these people who exhibit the ability to use strategies, but we want them to uh, build meaning or construct meaning using strategies in a content area. So the, the intertwinedness of strategy and content knowledge, strategy and skill and content knowledge, I think is a hallmark of a successful reading program.
1: Can you speak to how um, reading researchers address issues of racial and cultural, ethnic background when designing studies about content knowledge?
2: Yeah, so um, we have such such a diverse population of students in the United States, and um, these students come from really rich backgrounds, uh, ethnic, cultural, language and um, it's really important that we look at this diversity as a source for students to do well in school as, as opposed to um, a challenge albeit the diversity of, of our students backgrounds can be a challenge when we think about the curriculum being um, fairly set in stone in some districts and states. So the challenge is, is to how do we sort of leverage what students already bring to school to help them become better at school learning. And in terms of a researcher, um, there's uh, one, of, one of my favorite terms comes from a researcher at the University of Arizona, Louis Moll, who talks about funds of knowledge. And funds of knowledge are the things that exist in communities. And uh, th- the idea there is, why not take advantage of the things that students already know about? The challenge is, how do the things that students already know fit or not fit with the existing curriculum? So um, an example of doing that would be um, how do how do kids use math and how do kids use reading and how do kids use writing in the home, community, uh, you know, religious center that their parents attend, or that they attend, or that they partake of, and and to look in the community for how these things matter. So it's not only that we hook up with a child's cognitive background, meaning here's knowledge that you bring, here's how we're gonna honor that knowledge, acknowledge that knowledge, and then have you use it in school. But it's also quite motivational when students see themselves out of school, um, being bought into school and being asked to use that. It's, uh, it, it helps us avoid the child who's like, I've got my total identity outside of school, which is really different from my identity that's, uh, in school. And that, that's really to the benefit of teachers and students. Mm-hmm. And,
1: a- and after school, I would think, you know, to the benefit of the so- society in general, you
2: know? Certainly. Yeah. And any, um, any ways that we can build connections between the life in school and the life outside of school, uh, tends to be good for everyone involved. Let's uh, shift a little bit
1: and return to the science of reading and the simple view of reading. For people who aren't familiar with it, can you define what the simple view of reading is?
2: Yeah. um, The simple view of reading is the idea that listening comprehension and decoding equal reading comprehension. That's how simple it is. But in its simplicity, we may see some limitations. Can you talk about that a little bit, please? Yeah. Yeah. The, the idea there is, I, I think, um, pretty true. Um, and it's, I think it's a great starting point to think about how complex reading is. So, you know, I, I would say the simple view of reading always leads me to thinking about the complexity of reading. So the simple view of reading is this. It, um, it's the idea that when children show up at school, let's say pre-K, uh, kindergarten, first grade, they already have, um, this is the vast majority of students, they already have extensive experience listening to language. And um, through listening, they build up um, quite large listening vocabularies. And, th- and that listening vocabulary is um, a great resource. It's a great potential resource. The, the idea here is like, how do we tap into that resource? Well, in terms of reading, we have this thing called decoding. And so when children learn phonics, and when they learn how to decode words, they can look at these symbols on a page and they decode them and then sound out the word. And as they sound out the word, we hope that there's a nice match for that word in the child's listening vocabulary. And so the decoding, um, taking print and turning it into sound, and then matching that sound counterpart to the printed word to which in the child's listening vocabulary equals comprehension, right? So that's why it's so simple, but, but that's also why it's so limited in explaining the, really the full array of things that a student has to do to develop into a successful and independent reader. So um, what the simple view of reading doesn't get at, you know, this is just the first run from a, a thousand feet up view would be, um, Metacognition, I talked about that earlier. The simple view of reading is silent as to how a child would manage the uh, the complex acts of reading. Like, how do you take a text that you have a little bit of knowledge for, and how do you read it, and then how do you take what you've comprehended, if you hopefully have comprehended it, to answer questions or to apply the knowledge that you gain from reading in a task that your teacher has um, asked you to partake of, right? Uh, in addition to metacognition, the simple view of reading is silent to things like motivation and engagement. Um, every teacher knows that a motivated reader is going to be attentive, is going to be giving effort, and is going to be concentrating on the task at hand. And that motivation means the job will be, be well done in relation to the strategies and skills that the reader has. Um, In addition to that, we could go back to self-efficacy and the idea that if you have 10 students and um, five of them are high self-efficacy, they believe in themselves because they've had consistently successful experiences with reading. And you compare that with a group of five students who have had a lot of failure experiences with reading. You know that the application of skills and strategies is going to be varied based on that self-efficacy because the low self-efficacy students don't believe that they can succeed. They've had too many failure experiences. And so when that group of low self-efficacy students starts encountering difficulties, a challenge to decoding or to comprehending a complex sentence or putting sentences together through a paragraph to come up with the main idea, those children are more apt to bail out of the entire act of reading than their counterparts who have had success experiences and know that they can work through difficulties if they attend and if they apply their strategies and skills.
1: After the break, Peter digs into the research that expands beyond the simple view of reading. Stay with us.
0: Phonics instruction. It's key to every child's ability to read. For students in grades K to 5 who need extra support, there is a new program for Tier 3 intervention. Benchmark Phonics Intervention. Developed with literacy expert Wiley Blevins, Phonics Intervention is based on current science of reading research and aligns with the tenets of structured literacy. The print and digital materials include a wealth of decodable texts, teacher's guides that support English learners and students with dyslexia, point-of-use professional development, and other explicit, systematic, multimodal tools to help accelerate students to literacy growth and mastery. Learn more at benchmarkphonics.com.
1: Talk about the research that
2: is expanding beyond that simple view of reading model. I, I've mentioned in the sciences of reading, things like metacognition, motivation and engagement, self-efficacy, um, in terms of reading comprehension, uh, we've, we've learned quite a lot in the last two decades about how students, um, as they matriculate through the early grades in elementary school, and sometimes as early as uh, third or fourth grade, start getting into disciplinary reading. And in disciplinary reading, we know that comprehension is a result not only of applying strategies and skills, but it's about um, knowledge of the discipline. And if, if anyone there is familiar with the idea of helping children learn to read like historians, I think this is a really great strong example of what the simple view of reading can't um, address. So we know that historians who, who are real historians they read texts and then they come up with interpretations of texts and they make judgments about them. If you compare that to uh, history in the content areas in elementary school, it's quite different where we sometimes, or most of the time, ask kids to read, to learn and memorize facts, you know, about dates and places and uh, people and, and all wrapped up in historic events. But it turns out if you're reading like an historian, you have to learn new strategies and you have to have a new, Sort of epistemological stance towards the text that you read, and you're you're more a uh, a detective looking for texts that you believe to be accurate and trustworthy and reliable. And you need strategies and tools to do that. Um, the The simple view of reading is silent um, to that aspect of reading, which, in my uh, view, is increasingly important for upper elementary school kids, middle school, and certainly high school kids. Um, Another another aspect of reading that the silent view, the simple view of reading is uh, silent to would be, um, how do children determine that they're reading something that's factual? Or how do kids determine something that is an opinion as opposed to a fact? How do children determine that something they're reading is chock full of claims, but there's not much evidence to support the claims that an author is is making? There's much more nuance and there's much more complex strategies to reading than the simple view of reading would have us believe. One of the things that fascinates me in the the rhetoric around the science of reading is that um, much of it is around this uh, logic. It's that um, we really need to pay attention to the mechanics of reading, such as phonics because it's so clear from test scores that students are not able to read, right? And I say, okay, well, let let me pull that apart. Let me examine that statement or that logic. And when I think about it and examine it, here's what I come up with. The tests that um, students who are not doing well at are comprehension tests, right? So um, what, the science of reading and people who use it in I would say a very narrow way are saying is that a test of comprehension reveals that students' phonics are not well developed or not being used. And that is um, a somewhat legitimate inference that we can make from a test score. But when a test is focused on comprehension, there are other things that might be uh, worthy of our attention like all of the other uh, reading skills and strategies, the ones in addition to phonics and the development of phonemic awareness. So um, we can look at uh, a student's test score and say, you know, it might be that this child has just not um, gotten there in terms of prosody and intonation and uh, rate and accuracy. So this child needs some uh, help with fluency. And we might look at a, a comprehension test score and say part of why this child didn't do well might be because the the vocabulary that the child brings to acts of reading just is not that well developed. And we also might look at a comprehension score and say you know it might be that the student needs more comprehension strategy instruction. And so I can, I can draw a line from a comprehension test score to the need for more comprehension instruction to the need for more vocabulary instruction and vocabulary learning, I can draw the line back to the child just might not be reading as fluently as necessary, just as well as drawing the line back to the child needs more phonics. So there are, um, there are many explanations for why a reading test score is what it is. Uh, a lack of, of phonics is one, but I don't see the uh, argument a lack of phonics being any stronger than those other arguments, like the child may need fluency, the child may need vocabulary, the child may actually need comprehension strategies and skills since this is a comprehension test. And for teachers who are interested in this topic, um, the sciences of reading or what else do we need to attend to beyond uh, what I would say is the narrowly conceived idea of phonics being at the center of successful reading, I, I would recommend all of professional journals. I think that the Reading Teacher is a wonderful way of thinking about uh, keeping up with important research and uh, instructional approaches. I think Language Arts from the National Council of Teachers of English is a worthwhile journal, and I, th- I think there are many, many blog sites, uh, information sites on the on the internet. Although I would caution, as with the print material, um, we know that. Uh, all communications come with one, one or another sort of inherent bias. So it's important for us to, uh, to understand that. But there, there are many, many resources. Uh, last but not least, you know, I would say a comprehensive reading series, which takes seriously the idea that there are sciences of reading and takes seriously the idea that we need to attend to um, all of the five indicated important science of reading things phonemic awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, and reading comprehension would be another place where just by examining daily uh, lessons, by looking at lessons as they unfold within a unit, and then looking at units across an entire instructional year, you'd see the balance that I think um, really marks a useful and successful instructional program. Thank you very much, Peter. Sure.
1: Thank you. Dr. Peter Afflerbach for the conversation about authentic reading, expanding the science of reading. And thank you for listening to Teachers Talk Shop. For Benchmark Education and Teachers Talk Shop, I'm Kevin Carlson. Thanks for listening.